Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast. I'm Alison Perry, and you're listening to episode 24. My guest today is Deborah James, who just over a year ago was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer. After quitting her job as a deputy head teacher and embarking on chemotherapy, Deborah started a blog and an Instagram account called Bowel Babe, where she writes about her experiences. Deborah's also a mum of two kids, so she's juggling family life with hospital appointments and treatment on top of writing her blog, and she's also got a column for The Sun. And as if all of that wasn't enough, she's writing a book too. Uh, she told me that her blog name is a kind of tongue-in-cheek superhero alter ego, but after chatting with her, I kind of came to the conclusion that she actually is a bit of a superhero. Welcome, Deborah, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I feel like we should explain to the listener that this is the third attempt at recording this. I was going to say third time lucky, I think. Yes. Well, we're hoping this will be third time lucky. Yeah, so the first time I um, came round to your house and I got a call from my daughter's school to say, she's not well, come and pick her up. And then the second time, which was last week, it all went swimmingly well and we had a lovely time chatting and recording the podcast um, except when I went to edit it, I discovered that the sound quality was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so we're back here again. So we're back here again. Um, and I think that it's really good to have a warm up like that. I mean, <laughs> that just means that this chat is going to be great. Really straightforward. It'll Wouldn't be you fine. agree? I've already, I've already thought about some of the end questions. I already know. Oh, yes. Damn it. You know what my quick fire questions are going to be. I know questions are going to be. Oh, why didn't I think about that and, uh, and change them? Oh, <laughs> call myself a professional. <laughs> Um, so you are a mum to a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. Um, and you're a former deputy head teacher. And is it just over a year ago? Have I got yeah, that right? Yeah, just over a year ago. Um, you discovered that you've got stage 4 bowel cancer. Yeah. Um, and you describe yourself as living with cancer rather than being a cancer victim yeah. or a sufferer. Tell me a little bit about why you have that attitude towards what you're going through. So I um, I think the word cancer conjures up so many negative connotations, um, regardless of what stage that cancer might be. And I think... Um, somebody only has to say to you um, you have cancer and you suddenly think I'm going to die um, I'm going to die tomorrow um, you know my kids are going to be sad without me and it has all these kind of pictures that come up um, and actually what you realise is yes I have stage 4 cancer which means that I have cancer that is 
throughout my body um and it's it's metastasized which essentially means that it's gone to some of my organs so that's what stage four means just for anyone listening who isn't yeah. clear stage four means that it has spread yeah so in most cancers um it's, it's always the same so stage four means that it's spread from the initial site so my initial tumor was in my bowel um and um up to stage three so you've got one two and three and depending on the kind of cancer is you know breast cancer brain tumor god forbid whatever it might be um how far that cancer has grown and spread throughout your lymphatic system will depend on the stage that the cancer is now there is no stage five <laughs> put it this way um one of the the outcomes for stage four are worse the reason is because cancer has become part of your system right. and it means it's traveled through your body from one site to another site so in my case it traveled through my bowel um, and went to my lungs which sounds a bit of a weird connection but that's quite a common right. um, path for, for bowel cancer um, and essentially it means it's gone um, into my organs so um, it now becomes a bit of a challenge in terms of how you maintain it um, or control it but um, you very much see it as being that you're living with cancer and that you refuse to be seen as a victim is that is that yeah fair? I think that's really fair I think um you can have good days with cancer and I think I try to demonstrate that very much um and it I'm not going to lie to you cancer is horrible um you know it, it makes your whole world flip um 180 mm. um but at the same time um I have done things that I never thought possible um and I think it's really important to and I've met loads of amazing people um you know whether it's through Instagram or through um, charity communities um who are living um, with a diagnosis that says they are unfortunately dying. Mm. Now, I don't talk about dying. I don't know what's around the corner. But to be honest, none of us do. Mm. Um, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm hopeful that there will be um, a magic drug around the corner. Um, so with my oncologist, we talk about the next step. You know, what happens next? What happens next? We don't talk about what might happen in the future. So is that a very conscious thing for you? Are you very much focused on the next step rather yeah. than looking too far into the yeah, future. Yeah, I think what happened with me is when I was first diagnosed, um, I um, unfortunately I went very quickly to stage four, found out very quickly that it spread. And you look up statistics mm. and the statistics for bowel cancer are hideous. For most cancers at stage four, they're hideous. Um, so less than one in 10 people will survive for five years with what I have. Wow. So if I were to focus on those statistics, everything will tell you that I am going to die, yeah. essentially. And then within those statistics, I unfortunately have a mutation that's really aggressive. And I spent weeks, months in a very, really, really dark place looking up um, all these studies and everyone fell off the bottom of the study. <laughs> so mm. essentially, I couldn't find any good studies that told me I was going to live. So at some point, I had to just draw a line under it because it where's it going to get me it's you can not... drive yourself mad that kind of thing can't you <laughs> can go mad and you have to therefore focus on the fact that for me I'm under a great team at the Marsden um, and you kind of have to focus on what happens next what are we going to do next because I think you know I could be one of those lucky ones um, I have um, you could be that study I could be that study that people exactly. in the future are going oh well, look at Deborah look at that and there are I think you know a lot of research is based on stuff um, in the past um, it takes years to come to fruition and, um, you know, techniques and things and the way that I'm being treated now, um, you know, we don't know what the results or the outcomes for those things are. Sure. Um, so you have to remain positive. I think if you don't have hope, 
then you may as well give up. (laughs) What do you have? What do you have, exactly. So let's go right back to the beginning. And you, is it it true that you um, thought you had irritable bowel syndrome to begin with? for years. I think all of us did sometimes a little bit. You know when you've got a bit of a dodgy stomach? And also I think, you know, we we all live in such a stressful day-to-day life that quite often you get a bit of IBS and that's a very normal thing, isn't it? And you just think it's IBS. And I was a busy working mum of two. um, And I think, you know what life is like when you just run around and you justify everything that's going on in your body to just being a busy mum of two yeah um so I was really tired oh well I've got two kids we're all tired we're all tired right all the time um I started losing a bit of weight um but actually for me that I just justified that that I'd started working out a bit more so you, so you had started working out and lost weight. Yeah. So that's a fair assumption to So that's to a fair assumption. I was thinking, well, that's pretty good. Um, and the, the key thing for me was um, my bowel habits changed and I started passing blood. Um, but when you look up um, at my age, passing blood... Um, you are often given a diagnosis of hemorrhoids, which right. we've all probably had hemorrhoids or, mm. you know, from, from those birthdays. Pregnancy. <laughs> Pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're, that's what you're often given is that diagnosis. The worst case scenario, um, I went to a doctor's and they, they thought it could be something called Crohn's, Crohn's or colitis. Yes. Um, and it was only then that I suddenly thought, oh, maybe it's getting a bit serious. But the key thing is that all my blood tests came back normal. Um, and it was only when I then started really worrying and some of my friends, I actually started taking pictures of my poo. (laughs) Um, and the reason I did that is because if I, I think everybody's uh, view of passing blood is different. Yeah. So for example, one person without, I know I'm getting really graphic here. I think think getting graphic is good. And I think, I think that, I think talking about this openly is, is only a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. So some one person for example might have a, a drop of blood when they a fresh blood when they wipe their mm-hmm. bottom mm-hmm. now i'm not a medic and i'm not going to give out advice no. but on the whole that would be deemed as probably a tear or a cut or a bit of a hemorrhoid yeah the key thing for me was that my blood was mixed in with my stools okay but it still looked really fresh and so there was a bit of confusion because i was thinking oh well, maybe it's a really bad hemorrhoid yeah and the key thing was somebody should have probably asked me how much blood I was losing. Right. Um, and it was only when I started taking pictures and photographs and showing them did, um, you know, was my fears conf- confirmed that actually I was losing quite a lot of blood. So did you show those photographs to your doctor? Yeah, who then I did. kind of was like, oh, hang uh, on a minute. Yeah, because I think it's all good and well, isn't it, when you walk up to the GP and you say, I'm losing a bit of, you know, I'm passing a bit of blood. Yeah. And... You really, well, it's kind of how much, what does it actually look like? Yeah. And it's really hard to describe, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Um, so it was that actually that, that got me a referral in the end. Um, and then I saw a consultant um, who immediately um, did a colonoscopy. Um, a colonoscopy is basically where you put a camera up your bottom. Right. <laughs> as you do um and um everything fell silent um I had a six and a half centimeter tumor up my bum um and they knew there and then that it was cancerous they knew there and then in his professional opinion like nothing was confirmed until I had biopsies what was Um, that like being told that it was awful I mean I have nightmares about it um still yeah I do actually because nobody will ever forget the day um that they're told they might have cancer um and it's it's really scary you know exactly the way you felt um you know how everyone responded to you Mm. I'll never forget people's faces Mm. looking at me um and I remember because one of the assistants in the room 
um, kind of knew what had been found mm. and they were trying to distract me from the kind of, you know, when everything oh, gets very serious yeah. and silent. Mm. Um, and I, um, I was a hyper, I am a hypochondriac um, massively when it comes to medical things. So I'd already researched what a normal bowel would look like. Um, so I knew that actually um, my bowel didn't look right and I knew it was bleeding and I knew that they were getting quite serious in the room because they started taking loads of biopsies and I just knew something was wrong. Yeah. And when the consultant came round to um, tell me the news, he said, I know that you already know that we found something. Yeah. And um, he didn't, you know, he just, he he. he didn't you know screw around with it he just went straight to the chase he said we found a tumor he said in my professional opinion i think it's cancerous um we've taken some biopsies we need to get you immediately into a ser- into surgery um and we need to scan you and then my life just kind of fell off a cliff <laughs> oh my god i can't even imagine i mean how what, what did what words did you say back to the consultant as he was saying this to you i screamed to him i said i don't want to die that's all i said i just said i don't want to die and he said, look, you may just need a cut out um, and then that's it. You can go on your merry way. Um, and um, But he said, we need to find out what's going on. Um, he, he, he didn't give me false hope. Um, but I didn't even... Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it was it was hell. We went, me and my husband, yeah, my husband was with me at the time. We then got in the car, drove, went and got the most expensive bottle of wine that we could find. Um, and you go into like... Um, this surreal world where you're not really living it you're kind of in a you're in a weird existence <laughs> well, I guess it, it must have felt almost like a bad dream yeah it felt like a it, it was you kind of go to sleep and you wake up thinking oh come on it will just go away it's not that bad um and then the motions start you know you start going through the motions and you start having to go to tests and you start realizing that this is your life so did you tell your kids straight away? No, we didn't. Um, we kind of, that was really difficult actually because we came back in um, and just pretended everything was fine because we didn't know what we were dealing with. That's such a typical parent thing to do, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I mean, understandably, but just swallowing your worst fears. Yeah, you just swallow it. And putting and, on a brave face for your kids. Yeah, and you know, they're like, how are you? How they knew I'd had an appointment. How's mm. your bum? Oh, it's fine. Don't worry. Da, da, da. Um, and then one positive is that my son actually had had a little um, colonoscopy operation when he was younger and they removed a little thing from him. So we were able, when we had established that I needed to have an operation, we were able to tell them um, that actually mummy was going to have the same operation. Right. Um, as as my son yeah and um he was like oh well that's easy and so he starts going oh mommy it's like such an easy operation I've done it I've done this mm-hmm. you'll be fine um, and I think for us we were lucky in that way and it was only after the operation that we knew a hundred percent although we were always told it could be cancer it could be cancer it was only after the operation that we knew a hundred percent that it was and then I will never forget having to tell them that day what was that like that was awful. So we went to um, went out to a restaurant actually, um, and I kind of said, "Look, so you know, Mummy had the tumor cut out of her. Unfortunately, um, it's got cancer inside of it. Um, but the doctors are going to do everything to get rid of the cancer and make sure that it's not in the rest of Mummy's body." But I just broke down. I mean, you can't, you can't. Um, I couldn't hold myself together mm. to be honest. I don't know how how people can. Um, and that's and then I've just been very open about it. So everything I write, 
um, my blogs and my columns, um, everything on Instagram, I let the children see if they want to. Mm-hmm. I don't shove it in their face, um, but I don't stop them from reading anything that I write. That's amazing. So back when you first told them, did they understand, do you think? Like, you know, had, had they heard of cancer? Did they yeah. know? I think my, because well, my, my kids are 10 and 8, mm. or, you know, um, they were a little bit younger then. But um, even in Disney movies, the mum dies of cancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so true. People get cancer, they die. They die. And it's kind of like, um, I was watching something with my daughter the other day and it's all like teeny bopper, like la la la. Oh yeah, well her mummy had cancer and her father's got cancer right now and she's lost her hair. And I'm like, oh my word. Like, so even, you know, yeah. in the most tame kids. Tame. Yeah. And they know, you know, they know what the connotations of the word cancer is. Um, and the thing that really grates on me, and I know I'm going slightly off topic, but you're sitting there at eight o'clock on a, um, you know, before Christmas on um, Saturday evening watching The X Factor, um, or my family, we do anyway, um, and suddenly in the adverts comes on kind of, um, you know, a big, deep, dark, depressive, grey advert um, talking about how awful cancer is. Mm. And I'm sitting there with my children. Mm having cancer yeah um and that kind of image of cancer really really gets to me i mean on the flip side you can understand why i'm guessing it must have been a charity a cancer charity charity, and i know that it makes us donate yeah that's why that's why they do it it's to pull at the heartstrings and it does it absolutely it absolutely pulls at the heartstrings but and i get that i get if you're on the other side of the fence Mm. you know you see that advert and unfortunately you know that is a real portrayal of cancer but when you're sitting there undertaking cancer and going through cancer yourself, you don't want your kids to see that side. Especially when you are trying to be upbeat and positive. Yeah. And, yeah, look on the bright side of yeah, things. Yeah, you want to look on the bright side. And then you've just been diagnosed and all you see mm. is this greyness being portrayed. And I think that goes back to your first question about living with cancer. So for me, I'm not hiding away from that image um, that it is grey and depressing. But I also think that one in two of us are going to get it. Is that true? Yeah. One in two of us will get cancer. As of today, one in two of us will get cancer. That is, according to um, cancer research statistics. That is terrifying. It's terrifying. But what we've got to understand from those statistics is that um, more of us will live for 10 years after our diagnosis with cancer than will die from it. Right. So keeping in mind that um, the average age for a cancer diagnosis is much later on, um, and I don't want to kind of be quoted here, but it's, it's normally in the 70s, actually our life expectancy wouldn't necessarily be kind of affected by our cancer diagnosis with modern kind of monitoring and techniques. Sure. However, there are unfortunately, you know, one in eight women will get breast cancer. Um one in 16 men will get bowel cancer and one in 18 women will get bowel cancer. So bowel cancer is more common in men? Bowel cancer is more common in men, um, but it's the third most common cancer um, kind of around. Although actually, um, well, not funny enough, but I think just last week prostate cancer um, overtook bowel cancer. Funnily enough. <laughs> Funnily enough. Is it all, this, all the poo stuff? Um, all the poo stuff. And you think, um, oh. do, you, do, do, you, do you think it's, I mean, you're coming across as being like this real expert in cancer. Is, is that weird to you that you've <laughs> developed all of this knowledge and you're just like churning out stats churning and out facts? Stats. I think it's one of those things. So I'm a bit of a research geek. So when I was a deputy head, I was massively into educational research. So I read 
so much mm. um, and suddenly I had all this time on my hands um, because I couldn't continue with my previous job previous role because it would, wouldn't have been fair on the kids um, and suddenly I transferred all my research knowledge into just researching about you become an expert in your own disease mm. um, to the point that I actually go now to some first year medical students and talk about my case study oh wow and realize that I know more than they probably know because I it's my life mm. I have to live it and my way of dealing with it and having some control in the situation is to research the hell out of it. <laughs> so I want, I'm somebody who wants to know mm. everything. I want to know what the best treatment options are. I want to know kind of, you know, am I getting the right drugs? What has research shown? That doesn't work for everybody. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily advocate it unless you love reading loads of kind yeah. of stuff. And it is quite dangerous because you can go down very dodgy pathways um, but I do kind of like having a secure knowledge. And I also think it's really useful because um, I'm asked loads through social media, you know, what were your symptoms? What are the symptoms? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and actually, I do think that I have a bit of a responsibility to at least educate other people or at least raise awareness um, with a platform that I have to do that. Yeah. Um, so You said... I mean, you, you said to me before, possibly might have been on, on, the, on the last podcast, um, <laughs> that despite you being a bit of a geek and reading up and wanting to know stuff you haven't actually ever asked your um, consultant what your I guess your life life expectancy is yeah I don't want to know the answer um because I think and I think we've I remember us talking about this in that so if he said to me well on average somebody with your kind of cancer has two years to live um I would then sit and count down the days until the two years mm. so every event in my life will be well that's my last Christmas mm. oh well that's my last birthday and I'm not sure whether I could have the enjoyment in any of it so I have chosen not to ask that question um I I don't want to have that conversation unless I feel it's really necessary for for life admin if we want to say that mm. to have it um and as a result I think by not asking that question a I have more hope um, and B, it means I can just live for the small moments and celebrate the small milestones. I think that's totally fair enough. I don't think any, I mean, I don't think many of us, if we could be told when we are going to die, because let's face <laughs> it, we're all going to die at some point. I don't think many of us would, would, want to know. would want to know. No, I think it's one of the, if somebody had said to me before I had cancer, what's your worst case scenario? It's, it's kind of knowing that you're going to die. But there's some people that find great peace in that. Mm. And I hope that if I ever get to that point, I would find peace in it. Uh, but I'm not there yet. Um, and I don't want to be there. And I don't even want to kind of have to consider it. Yeah. Um, because, to be honest, it just makes me really sad. Um, but I know that there are many mums maybe listening who, who are having to have those conversations I mean I, I know that as a fact because I've spoken to some of them mm. um, and that just you know having to go through that just breaks my heart the idea that I might have to tell my children um, mummy is going to die mm. I think I can't comprehend that at the moment I think that's fair enough Deborah There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, <coughs> so you've you've done 21 rounds of chemo, haven't you? Yeah. You've I just a, finished. I've just finished. So I had, today, well, tomorrow, is actually my, I started chemo a year ago tomorrow. Wow. Which is a little, it's Valentine's Day. Which is crazy. Mm. So my Valentine's Day last year was spent with some lovely doctors and nurses. Um, not in a in a nice romantic way, um, but essentially being pumped full of drugs. And I only realised that. I was writing my column this week and I only realised that when I was looking back and thinking, wow, I've had a quite a hardcore year. Um, so I started that chemo with the plan that I was going to have chemo for six months. Um, I was going to have 12 cycles and a cycle is essentially for me every two weeks. So essentially I have drugs every two weeks. And the plan in my mind was six months of chemo, wham, bam, move on with my life, it will all be done. Um, and unfortunately, really quickly it transpired that um, the plan turned into kind of not a definitive plan. It just turns into let's just look, let's just go to the next step, next step. Um, and what's just happened is I've actually just made it through to 21 cycles, which is kind of a year worth of chemo minus the odd lung resection here and there. Um, and I've actually made it through to the end of, um, a regime. I just found that out on, on, on Friday. I kind of, I was just saying to you earlier that I suddenly realized I was at the point that I was aiming towards and I suddenly thought, Oh, I'm in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> here. Is, I'm here. Um, and I suddenly, I I dream about um, you know you see on I see on Instagram and social media these people who hold up banners and they're like I'm out of chemo yeah. I'm cancer free cancer free I, don't, I dream about that but I will never have that opportunity and I think I wouldn't count my lucky stars to do it so in theory I finished my current chemo um, I'm not even booked in for another bit of chemo wow. What does that feel like? It's a bit. It's a bit. It's really nice. I've just booked a holiday today, (laughs) this morning. Um, I've still got operations coming up, and I know the problem is the reason half of me wants to like literally shout from the roof and jump around for joy, and I think it's right that we celebrate those small milestones. Definitely, and also having that gap between treatment, so between now and your operation or your first operation getting away and getting holiday it's in. just amazing which i haven't oh. been able to i've been grabbing these small opportunities yeah and you sometimes forget because i've been so hell-bent on this kind of the big celebration mm. but i forget that that might not ever happen so i suddenly thought well hang on a moment you need to kind of celebrate these small things yeah um but i know i'm really realistic and i didn't want to do the whole you know thank you to all the nurses, bye, see ya, I'm out of here. Because the reality, and I know this, I feel really grounded by the people that I meet at the Marsden because they're like, well, I had six weeks off of chemo and now I'm back on it. And it's, you know, it's it's awful and I hope that I'm not in that situation. But the reality with my type of cancer is that I probably will be back on chemo in six weeks. But you know what, if it's six weeks, I'll enjoy those six weeks. Yeah. Um, And I kind of, you know like we said earlier it's one step at a time so does the chemo make you feel quite unwell yeah I think 
because I've had so much of it now. So for my kind of cancer, I've had um, full dose um, kind of nuclear chemo. And there's lots of different types of chemo you can have. You can have kind of maintenance chemo, which is slightly a lower dose. Um, lots of different drugs that cause loads of different side effects. And I haven't lost my hair, thank God, even though I was told, you know, it's likely to thin. Um, I was one of the lucky ones that haven't. Mm. Um, but to be honest with you, I've now had so much... Um, kind of of this full dose chemo um that I am feeling the side effects beyond um you know I slept for today I've I've just been asleep all day um and tomorrow hopefully I'll have some energy to do something Mm. um but I am knackered like beyond knackered Mm. so the plan is two operations yeah so I've got a couple of operations coming up um where they're hoping to get out some lung tumors um, and then it's it's a bit of a game of like um, you know that splatting game like um, I can't think what it is where you have to like hit the hit the tumors on the head before they oh, keep yeah. on up. yeah that yeah 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 in the arcade yes <laughs> splat the tumors um, so I think with me it's a case of um, hoping to splat them before anything new pops up I think that's the strategy um, and you pray that they don't kind of have a have a uh, kind of party in your body before you can do anything about it yeah um so in the meantime though you are doing a lot of work you've got your column with the sun yeah. you've got a book that yeah. um i know you can't talk about but you are writing a book that I'm writing it. Yeah. you are writing it um and you do a lot of work to you know with cancer charities um how important is that to you that you are because it all started with you, with you writing your blog, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, so I kind of, I've always been somebody that runs at 100 miles an hour. So I was step to head teacher in a secondary school and my life was my work. I was always kind of, um, probably too much so actually. Um, and I am somebody who will work at three o'clock in the morning through the night to get the job done. Mm. I've just been that, I'm just that person. Yeah. Um, and one of the hard things for me actually was kind of um, a sense of loss over my job. I didn't lose my job, but I couldn't continue doing what I was doing. And for me, I therefore had a massive hole in my life um, that I'd never had to deal with before. I mean, even when I was on maternity leave, I was pretty much still kind of whacking some stuff out from home. Um, and I, you know, suddenly had this massive void and I was like, well, what, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and I suddenly started writing mainly um to kind of let people know how I was because I was part of a teaching community and people are really lovely you know it was like how how are you doing and all these things and so I started writing um and then from that um I realized that actually um I've met loads of amazing people and I started them writing for for the sun uh, which I think is an amazing platform um to kind of just share my story my story is unfortunately um my story and what I say isn't unique so I don't feel like I'm saying anything that other cancer patients don't experience Mm. I think I just am really lucky that I have a platform to do it um but so therefore I really feel that there's a responsibility to speak on people's behalf and then I'm somebody who kind of even despite having cancer, I have to throw myself into stuff. So, so before before I knew it, I was kind of um, writing a book, which I'm doing at the moment, um, and getting myself involved with a variety of different projects. So I work really closely with two charities. So Bow Cancer UK, I think, are incredible. Um, I think um, their team are just absolutely passionate about stopping bowel cancer. Um, and for them, I'm, we've raised kind of nearly £50,000 over the last year. Wow. Um, that's because of all 
all the amazing people who've kind of got behind and done runs so I go under the name Barrel Babe which which we've talked about anyway um and so there's been loads of people who have fundraised on my behalf not for me you know the money doesn't go to me but the money goes to Bell Cancer UK we even did a ball last year wow did you yeah that was really good fun might even do another one coming up you never know um so yeah so we've managed to raise about £50,000 um, in the last year which That's I think amazing. is amazing it's totally amazing um and how, then, how do you yeah. balance all that off I mean you know you just finished saying that you're knackered and <laughs> yeah. that you're really feeling the you know the effects of the chemo <laughs> How do you balance looking after yourself and not overdoing it with all of this other stuff? Yeah, not very well. And being a mum. And being a mum. So not very well, to be honest with you. I have loads of help. Mm. Um, So I'll hold my hands up to the fact that I've got really supportive friends, family... Um, I do have I have help here um, in the home as well um, because I had it all in place when I was working anyway. So I've been lucky enough to kind of continue that. And I think for me, that's probably kept me sane because mm. it, it's meant that actually if I am totally flawed and I can't collect the kids from school... Um, I'm in a really lucky position that I've got somebody that can collect the kids for me. I guess it must create a bit of consistency for them as well. Yeah. So nothing's changed for them. Everything has remained exactly the same, apart from the fact that they think mummy having cancer is quite a good thing because suddenly mummy's around. So suddenly mummy collects them from um, school and they get to take the car rather than the bus. It's brilliant. So do, you, do, you, do you think that, that in a weird way this is brought you closer to your kids yeah a hundred percent so our relationship has changed so I um I was never a mumsy mum not that that's I don't really know what I mean by that I I kind of I I was never good at staying at home I I wasn't interested in it to be to be honest with you um and I found it really really hard Mm. um I was somebody who surprisingly got pregnant at a very young age and it's the best thing that happened um but I was kind of more concerned about what it might do to my career I think a lot of people listening will identify with that I think I think that a lot of people don't admit to feeling that that way yeah where you love being a mum but you also love your job and you find it hard to you know give up a large part of the job or how much you're working to be at home absolutely and I I mean there was part of me that was probably quite selfish with it but I mean I felt that I um that's how I functioned in Mm. a way I kind of felt that I was more myself being at work than being at home like I said everyone's different and there's no right or wrong way to be a mum absolutely and I you know I take my hats off to people that are at at home because it's really hard work (laughs) really hard work work. and don't get me wrong it's, it's also really hard work doing the other side yeah but for me I wanted to be able to sit on the toilet um in the middle of the day um and do a wee albeit like running around school yeah um but I wanted to feel like me yeah um and I I know that my temperament I really struggled like really really struggled to be honest with you um so but this so we orchestrated everything in our life I suppose so that I continued working through you know for the last 10 years and and carried on with my career yeah um and then suddenly um I was forced to to stop everything um and it was kind of it was quite a weird eye-opener in terms of stuff that I've missed out on I don't I don't regret it but I do have a realization that I think my priorities were very very skewed um and I would prioritize my job um and I would prioritize my own 
career mm. over my kids so what kind of things have you experienced in the last year that in the past you've missed out on do you think so I'd never gone to a sports day I'd never gone to a school play I was never on the school gate um just because I had no flexibility in my job to do so um I you know I just didn't really know what was going on in my kids life so I mean I know that sounds awful I love my children and I would I would be the mum and I am that I'm the mum over half term that overcompensates and then kind of like drags around yeah <laughs> loads of exciting things yes we're gonna do a year's worth of activities <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what happens yeah so, like you know I'm I have the holidays with them so I would always overcompensate in the holidays mm. um but what I have missed out on um is now you know I picked them up from school not every day um or I drop them off and every morning we have the conversations about it's the basic conversations it's kind of what's happening in your play like what part are you doing have Mm. you got your socks where's your mouth guard um what's how do you need picking up and I know they are very very like normal conversations that everybody has but I never had them right it's the tiny details isn't it it's the tiny details and Mm. I realize that my kids need me now more than ever um, for those tiny details yeah um and it's yeah it's quite it's been um it's probably been the biggest shift in my life that you know cancer's given me this shift mm. i would say there's a lot of positives in it um because i'm probably enjoying aspects of being a mum i mean don't get me wrong i screamed at them like for half the day today <laughs> they were doing my head in <laughs> i think it'd be a bit weird if you weren't doing that deborah yeah i was like <laughs> I've turned into Supermom. I am Supermom. No, I cannot handle it without a gin and tonic and a glass of wine. So I'm certainly not Supermom. But I do think that I've found um, a bit more of a balance. And, don't, you know, I need to still have my outlets um, in a selfish way, even when I have cancer and stage four cancer. Um, you know, I still need time out. But then that's what's so amazing about the blog and your column and your book is that you get to do stuff you know other stuff outside of of the home yeah absolutely and but I think for my kids it's really nice for them to see that as well yeah um because I think you know otherwise there's a risk that if I'm having a bad day they could actually just see me well mommy's asleep again on the sofa Mm. um so actually if they my daughter was at a photo shoot with me over the weekend loving it like so um you know I get them involved as much as I can because I think it's good for them just to see the the fun side of things as yeah, well yeah um and also you, yeah you, you did a photo shoot in your underwear recently is that has that come out yet is that yeah so I have I've, I work with a lovely photographer called Sophie uh, Mayan and she does um a whole project about behind the scars um which I think is just amazing so I, I mean there's a lot of body positivity and stuff mm. at the moment but what she does is get people who have scars from a variety of different things and um, she photographs them and then she tells their stories um, and I've been working with her on the project um for for a while mm. and funny enough um, for me actually working with her has been like documenting my cancer journey oh, um okay. and it's been amazing because I've been um yeah getting out my scars we did a photo shoot at the weekend and my daughter came along um, and again I was actually attached to the chemo pump and we were doing some really cool shots where um, my daughter was basically using the um, my chemo pump as a microphone. Amazing. Which is cool. So they'll, they'll be coming out soon. That will be so good. Is, that, is that with Sophie as well? And that was with Sophie wow. as well. We were doing some filming um, for various um, kind of um, news channels um, regarding it, um, just because I think it's an amazing project to, mm. to support. And I do think it helps people because... Um, 
scarring for example or kind of mentally or physically is something that people underestimate as a result of cancer and it's not just cancer I mean I know it's lots of other illnesses and actually the way she photographs people makes it really beautiful and so I've seen photographs of people who have 90% burns across their entire body and they look absolutely beautiful um, so yeah, so I think it's an inspiring project to be part of. That's amazing. And I've gone from from a deputy head who's like, no way am I taking my kit off to being like, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> it's great though. I mean, you must get a lot of feedback from other whether it's just, whether it's mums or whether it's non you know non mums who are going through cancer who are just feeling utterly inspired by what you're doing i get some really lovely amazing comments um, and people are so positive but the thing that i find amazing is how everybody has their own way of working through their their journey if you want to say that um some people want to be really vocal about it and some people just want to hide underneath a cover um and i think either way is fine um but it's nice to know that there's even in the dark depths of the trenches mm. it's nice to know that there's someone there with you yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, it sounds awful doesn't it like if you're dying if you've got someone with you it's okay no, no understandable um okay deborah i've got some quick fire questions for you i might know my answers that you you'll be so surprised by these <laughs> i think my answers are still going to be the same though um okay so you, every now and again on instagram you do a chemo dance yes don't you um, which I love. Um, what is your ultimate tune to dance to? So I'm still going to say, so Beyonce is my ultimate girl. I think she's brilliant. She's amazing. She is she? absolutely. And I was thinking, um, or, in terms of the tune, it, I was looking, I was actually looking at her, her crazy ladies one. Um, single ladies. Single ladies. Crazy, <laughs> crazy ladies. Okay, oh, I could do a new one. Crazy yeah. hero ladies. <laughs> or the single ladies. I, I really, I want to get that hip movement going. Is that the one where she does She's this? doing the thing with her hair. Or, or is that the ring, put the ring on it? If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Oh yeah, no. Is that, is, uh, those two different songs. There's two, but either okay, way, I'm so confused. either way, I'm up for anything with Beyonce. We're gonna, we're gonna get um, irate Beyonce fans emailing in, complaining. Going, we're, no. We don't know our Beyonce. I don't know which dance it's, but basically anything where Beyonce is wearing like some really kick-ass little costume, like shaking her booty. Mm. I just want to copy it. Yeah, I'm never gonna look as cool as that. But I'm you gonna, will, of course you will. You do. You're an amazing dancer. <laughs> I've seen you. <laughs> that Bollywood dance. You did with your daughter on instagram was amazing <laughs> my daughter loves a bit of jiggling around <laughs> so good so good um what's been your most embarrassing parenting moment um so i was thinking about this actually um i yeah i talked about this before so i think it's um probably my daughter on a plane vomiting throwing up all over me um but to the point that other people on the plane had to give me their clothes and I walked off the plane in a vest is that because she'd thrown up on you so much she'd thrown up on me so much that the um air stewardesses and stewards decided not to help me anymore um it was one of those really long flights where um it wasn't supposed to be long but it you know it was an easy jet flight um delayed delayed you know everyone was really annoyed um everybody had given up because I was the mum in the corner with sick all over me and I walked out into Gatwick airport in my knickers um a cardigan that a lovely lady had lent me just so I didn't show my ass to the whole world Um, did you give it back to her no she she was literally like please 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 just keep it Um, we don't want we don't want to see your your sick covered pants no and sick all over my hair but to the point that I now you know still now with a 10 and 8 year old travel with like 
hundreds of changes of clothes for me oh. I just didn't learn my lesson I, I now have learned my lesson in a bad way amazing um so did she have like a really bad sick bug or something yeah I think she had norovirus on a plane oh. for six hours um it was just bad very bad it was very bad um who is your dream play date guest so I'm still gonna say this in terms of so um you realise that people listening didn't hear you sing the last time yeah. because of the, <laughs> that podcast isn't going out. So it's still, it's still, it's still, it's fact, still, it's still the fact that I, I want it to be in Tamara Ecclestone's house. Yeah, because she has like um, a bowling alley, a, um, a softball play area, mm-hmm. and I think it would be really cool. Yeah, but I'm definitely going to have. Um, I would like Eloise to marry. Um, one of the royals, maybe. I so think. tomorrow's not invited. Tomorrow's not. Well, she can. She can come. She can she come and hang to. out. She can come and hang out if she wants to. But um, and her kids. I don't need her kids. But I think we're going to have Meghan Markle there, definitely. Yes. Um, and we're going to have Prince George. So basically, Meghan Markle is going to rock up with her nephew to be. At tomorrow, at tomorrow. This is quite a convoluted play date. Are we are we going to pull this one off, Deborah? I think so. I think it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> and the whole point is that maybe then Ellie is going to like charm prince george there's quite an age gap there it's all right she can go for younger what is there about six six years five six year age nothing oh hang on he's what is he about four he's four now isn't he yes we've only got a four year age gap you know harry's going a bit older yeah it's it's all the trend now yeah 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 bit of a toy boy we'll get in there early right you know, she's going to marry into the royal family, Mar- but only to like you know continue the Meghan Markle sparkle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of like jazzing the whole thing up. I love because so if much. Ellie, if Ellie comes into the royal family, I mean, you know, screwed. Woo. <laughs> um, I, no, I really love that you have really put a lot of thought into this to the point where you've gone from just organising a play date to marrying into the royal family. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't do things by half. You've got to have plans. <laughs> got to have plans. Grand plans. <laughs> Deborah, thank you for being my guest today and thank you for being my guest last week and thank you for nearly being my guest the week before um it has been utterly marvelous to talk to you thank you very much no, thank you for having me again and again <laughs> Isn't Deborah amazing? I will put links to her Instagram and her blog over on the show notes so you can go and check her out. But thank you as always for listening and please do go over to iTunes and subscribe and rate and review uh, because it really massively helps um, other people discover the podcast. So thank you and I'll catch up with you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.